Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. People often look at today's sad world and ask the question, why doesn't God do something about it? Well, in today's broadcast, evangelist Mr. John Grant gives us a simple answer. He has done something about it. Mr. Grant then goes on to explain how God has provided a remedy for the ultimate cause of all of our sorrow, sin. First, God commands, that is, he has made his wishes known that all men and women should repent and turn from their sin. Secondly, God commends, that is, He has commended or expressed to us His great love in giving His only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our substitute. And finally, He calls, yes, He's calling everyone, to come to Christ to receive His free gift of forgiveness, peace, hope, and eternal life. Rest assured, my friend, that God has not left us here alone to suffer the results of our sin nor does he want us to face the eternal consequences that sin demands. He has done something about it, my friend. He has provided all the remedy that we need. Now, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to the book of the Acts, please. If you don't have a Bible, just listen while we read some verses from the book of the Acts, chapter number 17. Verse number 16, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Verse number 29, Forasmuch then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Can we turn over, please, to the book of the Romans, chapter 5, and we'll read verse number 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And finally, please, the first epistle of Peter, and chapter number 5. Verse number 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I suppose as people go about this world and this sad, sorry old world of ours, there is a question which I know is often asked back home where I come from in Scotland, and I dare say it's a question that's often asked. And the question is a very simple one, a very clear one, and it is one that you may even have thought it probably has gone through your mind. The question is just this. If there is a God, 
with all the mess that the world is in, with all the difficulties that men and women face, with all the sorrow and tragedy that we surround us in our society, the question is, if there is a God, why does he not do something about it? And I'm sure that, as I say, has crossed your mind as well. What I want to show this evening very clearly from three verses of the Word of God is that God has done something about it. Indeed, I will bring it up to present tense, and I will say that God is doing something about it. And I want us this evening just to listen to what the Bible says as to what God is doing about this sad, sorry, old world in which we live. When you turn to the Acts of the Apostles, those verses to which I directed your attention, the Apostle Paul was preaching in the great Greek metropolis of Athens. It was in these days the very center of learning. It was the place where the intelligentsia gathered and where modern thought was discussed and all the implications of it were often in the minds of the people. And the Apostle Paul goes there to preach the gospel. The same gospel that we preach to you tonight, the same Christ, the same salvation. And as he preaches the gospel, he himself gives us the answer, one of the answers to what is God doing about it. But before we look at that, I want you to notice that when he preached the gospel in Athens, he preached it first of all in the marketplace, and then he preached it up in what you would regard as the university campus. And I dare say, you know, that strikes your mind when you look at that, that here is a gospel that is for everyone. The market trader, the folks walking about the marketplace, the forum, and the people who were debating the great intellectual issues of the day up there in Mars Hill, that's the location in Athens, well, of course, they were all to hear the gospel from the lips of the Apostle Paul. He was taken from the marketplace and he was taken up to the place where he would preach to the professors of his day. And as he passed by, he saw an altar, and it was an altar raised and dedicated to the unknown God. Well, that came into his mind. And as he preached in Athens, he says this, Really, I have come to tell you about the God that you don't know, the God that you don't have a knowledge of, the God that is a mystery to you. I've come to tell you about the unknown God. And as he preached about that, he gave us one of the things that God is doing about it today. Listen to what he says. He says this, the times of this ignorance God overlooked. The times when you knew nothing about it, God overlooked. But he said, now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. The first thing I want you to notice, men and women tonight, is that God is commanding you to repent. And I want to drive that home to you tonight. The God of the Bible is not pleading with you. The God of the Bible is not imploring you. The God of the Bible is not in his knees before you. The God of the Bible is commanding all men everywhere to repent. There is authority in the message. There's power in the message. This is not a message from the lips merely of men. This is a message that finds its source in the heart of God. It finds its source in heaven. And it has the authority of the throne of God behind it. God is commanding all men everywhere to repent. I want us to understand 
exactly what we mean about that. When the apostle preached that God was commanding, I say that is God's authority, still commanding today. Not, let me say, asking, not imploring, not pleading. No, God is commanding. And he is commanding all men everywhere. That word men is a word that embraces men and women. All people everywhere. God is commanding you. Now put yourself in the spot tonight. You've said, what is God doing about it? Just sit in your seat and put yourself in the spot. It's for you. This gospel isn't for somebody else. This gospel is for you. And every single person has to listen to what God is commanding. And so he is commanding all men everywhere, whether it be Vancouver, Toronto, London, Glasgow, Paris, Rome, everybody everywhere must heed the commanding call of the God who made you. And so Paul preaches the gospel. He is commanding all men everywhere to repent. So I address myself to the question, what does it mean to repent? You might say tonight, well, that means that I've got to do penance. That means I've got to do something to get my sins taken away, rubbed out, washed away. I tell you tonight, penance is not repentance. Penance is you trying to cleanse yourself from your own sins. Repentance is acknowledging you are a guilty sinner deserving judgment and determining to do a U-turn in your life. Determining to acknowledge you're a sinner. Determining to go into the presence of God and say that very thing. I am a guilty sinner because the Bible with clarity says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now that sin to which I refer is the cause of the heartbreak, tragedy, and difficulties of existence. But God is not disinterested, nor is he an uninterested bystander. He tonight, with all the authority of the throne of heaven, is commanding you to repent, to determine you acknowledge you are a sinner, and to accept that your sins which deserve God's judgment must be dealt with, and they are dealt with by you repenting turning away from them, doing a U-turn, acknowledging the awfulness of sin. I wonder if you've done that. Sin is a serious matter. The gospel is a serious message, and it demands serious attention. I want you to observe what else he said. God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Not tomorrow night, not tomorrow morning, not three hours from now, but now. God is commanding all men everywhere to repent. Now, why is that? Why has God bothered to look down in a sinful world and to offer this message of the gospel? I want you to observe what Paul preached in Athens well nigh 2,000 years ago. This is a timeless, changeless message. Just listen what he said. I'll give you the reason why it's necessary to repent. Because he said this, God hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. There is coming a day when the sins of men and women will be judged. The verdict of heaven will be declared. The sin will be judged. And it's necessary before that day dawn 
that you have the question of your sin dealt with for all eternity so that that judgment you never see. That is the clear clarion call of the God of the Bible. And I wonder this evening if you're prepared to acknowledge it. If you say to me tonight, friend, I am not a sinner. You are not facing up to what your heart is, your soul is, what you are. We all are sinners. And we've all come short of the standard that God expects. Fallen short of the glory of God. So God is commanding because there is a coming day of judgment. And that must be avoided. And you do so, as we will see in a few moments, by putting your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. God is commanding. But when I turned your attention to Paul's epistle to the Romans and chapter number 5, I read something else. And it says in verse number 8, not God is commanding, but God is commending. Listen to what the verse says again. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ah, here is God's answer to the sin of a godless world. God is commending his love toward us. Now, what does it mean to commend? What is the force behind this? The expression that the apostle uses drives you really, I suppose, in Paul's day into the warehouses in the city of Tarsus from whence he came. But it is also what you see in any department store or anywhere where, for instance, clothes are being worn. Now, you've got a rack of clothes, and they're all there, and you ladies go in and you say, right, I want one of these dresses. What do you do? You just pick it out and carry it away. No, you don't. You pick it out and you hold it up to see what you're going to buy. You hold it up. You hold it up so that you can see all that is being offered. You won't buy it without looking at it. You'll hold it up and you'll examine it. And when you've examined it and determined that's what you want, then you buy. Listen to what Paul says. God is holding his love up for you to see. God is holding his love up for your favorable attention. God is asking you tonight in the gospel to look carefully at the love that is in his heart for sinners and what the consequence has been of that. God is commending tonight his love toward you. Now, where can this love really be seen? You say to me, preacher, does God really love a sinner like me? Has God got any interest in an individual like me? I tell you, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise God tonight. He's interested in the sinner, and he loves men and women. And God wants you to know just how deep is his love. He wants you to know its height, its depth, its length, its breadth. Friends tonight, ignore the gospel, and you're ignoring God's love for sinners. There was a man came to the Lord Jesus one day, and you know, he was almost on the point of salvation, and he turned his back and walked away. And as the Lord Jesus looked at him walking away, the Bible records that the Lord Jesus, looking on him, loved him. So you never can say. It's not possible to say. It would be wrong to say that nobody ever loved me. God does. And he's holding his love. Now tell me, how is he holding it up? What has he done so that you can see the extent of the love of God? I tell you tonight, I turn your attention to the cross of Calvary. There you can see the height, the depth, 
the length and the breadth of the love of God. It is so intense, so real, that he sent his son to die on the darkness of Golgotha's tree to show just how much he loves sinners and to what extent he was prepared to go to show and display the heart of love that he had for men and women who need God's salvation. God commendeth his love toward us. And the Apostle Paul emphasizes this, drives it home more strongly by saying that God did not do this while we were his friends. He did not do it while we were close to him. Romans 5 and 8 is quite clear. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You're saying tonight, well, what's the cross got to do with me? 2,000 years ago, what's it got to do with me? I'm going to tell you tonight one of the reasons why it's got something to do to you. You see, we are all sinners. Now, sin is breaking God's law. If you break the law, you are judged. If you break the law, you are judged. But I want to tell you tonight that it's possible to avoid that judgment. And you say, well, do you mean that God can take my sins and just forget about them? Or can he take my sins and put them away in a cupboard or hide them in a corner or just put them out of his mind and forget they ever existed? No, the gospel of the grace of God does not tell me that. It tells me quite clearly that God must judge sin. Now, let me give you an example that will tell you exactly how God works. In the town of Kilmarnock, which is near where I live, there was a gentleman one day was up in court for what many people would regard as something he did that really was justified. But nevertheless, he owned a little place where he had a hut, a gardening place, and he used to plant potatoes. He was big in that and all that sort of thing. And vandals used to come in and burn his hut and all this sort of thing. He put down a trap and one of them got caught and he was charged with causing grievous bodily harm. Went to court. He was fined. He couldn't pay the fine. And there was a businessman sitting in the court so incensed that he took out his checkbook and he wrote out the sum and he handed it to the clerk of the court. Ah, the demands of the law were met. Somebody else paid the price and the man walked out free. He did not pay the price. Another man paid the price and as a result, he walked out free. I've got to tell you tonight that at the cross of Calvary, my Savior paid the price. At the cross of Calvary, he was prepared to die to pay the price. Now, that man in Kilmarnock could have refused the gift and could have said, I don't want it. I don't want your check. I don't want your help. I don't want that money. You can say in the gospel tonight, I don't want the cross. I don't want my sins dealt with. I don't want this coming into my life. But I tell you tonight, if that man had refused the gift, he would need to have paid the penalty. If you refuse the gift, the gift of God, which is eternal life, the forgiveness of your sins, if you refuse that tonight, it will be judgment. This is a serious issue. And so we have Paul saying, God is recommending his love. God is holding his love up for you to see the greatness of it all, and turning your attention to the cross of Calvary. And at Calvary, I see the price that was paid by my Savior to deal with my sins and your sins. But you must accept that gift 
The gift of God, which is eternal life, is given as a gift when you accept that the work at Calvary was for sinners such as you. God is commanding. God is commending. But when I turn my attention to the first epistle of Peter and chapter number five, I learn a third thing that God is doing about it. Listen to what the apostle Peter says. He says this, the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory. God is commanding, God is commending, and God is calling. I think as Peter wrote those words, his mind went back to an incident that we have recorded in the gospel by Luke. The sunrise that day was a frustrating thing for Peter. He had been out fishing, and all night they had caught nothing. The Lord Jesus borrowed his boat to use it as a pulpit that he might preach to the crowds that were on the shore. And after the preaching was finished, the Lord Jesus told them, launch out into the deep. He says, but we've toiled all night and caught nothing. I launch out into the deep. And he got a catch of fish such as he had never known in his life. I tell you, it was the most generous payment anybody ever had for the use of that boat. Peter was amazed. He stands at a crossroads and he bows at the feet of the Savior. And he said this, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He got two things right that day. The two things that you have to get right. He assessed himself correctly. He said, I'm a sinful man. In the presence of Christ, he assessed himself as being a sinner. He had a right view of himself. But he had a right view of the Lord Jesus. He called him Lord. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. If you obey the gospel tonight, and the Bible speaks about obeying the gospel, if you obey the gospel tonight, you will acknowledge you are a guilty sinner, you will acknowledge that at Calvary the Savior died for sinners such as you, and you will accept him as Lord and Savior, not just Savior but Lord. That's the challenge tonight. That is the force of the gospel. And this man looked back over the years, and he would think back over the years to that day, and do you know, he left the boat and he followed Christ. And here, 30 and more years later, if you decided on Peter, I tell you, was it worthwhile? Life changed for you. Was it worthwhile, Peter? Were you right to leave that and follow him? Listen to what he says. The God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory. He would say it was worth it. It was worth it. I followed him. I learned to love him. I'm looking forward to seeing him. It was worth it. Friends, tonight the time is almost gone. These are serious issues. God is commanding. God is commending. God is calling. The call is as strong as it was 2,000 years ago. As real. And if you're not saved, because that's a good Bible word, saved from eternal judgment, you listen to the call of God tonight. And if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you start on a journey that is guaranteed by heaven, a journey that will take you to eternal glory. That's the gospel. God is commanding, God is commending, and God is calling. Yes, my friend, the call of God is as strong as it ever was. He has provided the ultimate remedy for our sin. The problems of humanity began with the problem within the individual. By accepting God's remedy and by putting our trust in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will experience the new birth, 
a new life that will fit you not only for life here on earth as was intended for us, but for everlasting life in heaven with God himself. And we trust that you will respond to the command and call of God today. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday night, as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message, would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the Gospel Hall nearest you. Also, feel free to take a look at other literature and audio offers at anchorpointradio.com, where you can also subscribe to our Anchor Point podcast. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that in times like these, you need a Savior. And in times like these, you need an anchor.